friends. Um, uh, you know, this is kind of like one of those emergency podcast episodes. We're recording this on a Monday, August 29th. I'm going to try and have this out like tomorrow because this is a very important conversation that has to happen. Um, I'm joined on the podcast with Riley, uh, our new evangelicals researcher and also just overall badass person. And then I have Jay and Jana from the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. And there's a reason why I asked them to join me. And thank you guys, by the way, for making the time so... I mean, I literally texted you. I think I messaged you, Jonna, at what, like 10 a.m.? I'm like, hey, uh, any chance you guys could record a podcast today on this? And here we are trying to record. So thanks for making time. Um, so we're going to... I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves in one second. I just want to kind of give the audience here... You know, the reason why we're doing this is because... As you're going to kind of hear, this this episode is important because we're discussing Matt Chandler and some news that just came out with him really 24 hours um, ago. And we're, we need to unpack this because we see this, um, this play over and over again in evangelical spaces. And I think it's important to kind of look at like what is said versus what history tells us. So we're going to dive into all of that. But before I do that, uh, Jay and Jonna, do you want to introduce yourselves really quick? Sure. Hi, I'm Jonna. I'm one of the hosts. Jay's the other half of the hosts for the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. And we're a podcast that is really sparked out of birth, out of um, the desire for Acts 29 spiritual abuse victims to have a space to come and share their story. Because oftentimes in spiritual abuse situations, the narrative is driven by the toxic, abusive church leaders. So, people are just disappearing into their pain and isolation without ever actually sharing their side. Um, and we had our own experience in an Acts 29 church that really made us passionate about this. And we really wanted to share our own church's story, um, in particular, my story um, as a staff member under a very spiritually abusive, verbally, emotionally abusive pastor. Um, and we had attempted to work our way up the ladder of Acts 29. I'm using air quotes, accountability. Yeah. yeah. Um, but shocking, they are all autonomous churches. So the Acts 29 network didn't really want to get involved. But what we couldn't shake off is the fact that the current executive director of the Acts 29 network, his name is Brian Howard. He's actually listed um, in all the articles about what we're talking about today with Matt Chandler. Um, he, he's taking the lead and running with X 29 now as Matt Chandler takes a step back. Brian was actually in, d directly involved in our own church's story. Um, so we realized pretty quickly, there's nowhere to escalate this beyond us sharing it ourselves. And so from that came the bodies behind the bus and we've had an overwhelming amount of people write in with their own stories and, um, yeah, we're just recording stories like crazy, trying to just shed, just shine some light on some dark spaces. Um, Jay, did you want to add to that? No, I think that was great, um, what John has said. And what started as an Acts 29, really to focus on Acts 29 stories, is uh, really slowly starting to turn into multiple denominations and expressions of faith um, in white evangelical spaces. And so yeah. uh, we're seeing a lot of similarities, especially in Acts 29 stories and SBC stories, which those two are closely affiliated. And a lot of uh, a lot of churches um, have, have dual affiliations with the SBC and Acts 29. So 
yeah, so um, anxious to talk about this with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, can you maybe either one of you, Jay or John, can you un- kind of unpack Matt Chandler's role in Acts 29 just so the audience kind of has a grasp of, of why what's happening it actually has pretty big ripple effects? Absolutely. So Matt Chandler is the lead pastor of the Village Church, which is a multi-campus pastor. I'm sorry, multi-campus church uh, based in Dallas. It's actually based in Flower Mound. Um, it's been around, I think, 10 plus years, maybe even longer and I mean, it's a it's a large church. It's a SBC and an Acts 29 church, um, so dual affiliated. But Matt himself is a significant player not only in the SBC and Acts 29, but he is the president of um, I'm sorry, he's the president of Acts 29, which Acts 29 itself is a global church planning network uh, that really f- provides funds and resources for churches not only planted in the U.S. Uh, but all over the world. Matt's name is also, toast, uh, Matt is also tied with Acts 29 all the way back to the days of Driscoll. Uh, so when Driscoll was the president and the co-founder of Acts 29, you know, Matt was in that circle very early on. And when, uh, when Mark was dismissed, uh, Matt quickly took that leadership role. And I think he's been in that leadership role for at least eight years plus um, as the president. Hmm. Um, can either of you speak to any other um, problems at the Village Church under Matt's leadership? Um, has anything happened, you know, up until this point at at at, at the church? <laughs> so, to be quite honest, yes, are, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there are a couple cases that got a lot of attention, but the Village. Um, is a very powerful name in evangelical circles. It's very scary to come forward about a story if you experience something in the village, not only because um, it's scary in general to be a victim and come forward because we've seen it play out time and time again, what happens to victims of any type of abuse that come forward, they are immediately villainized and the abuser is protected. But in regards to the village, yeah. Um, I don't remember the year, but we had the Karen Hinckley. Um, yeah, the Karen Hinckley story. Yeah, Karen Hinckley. I think it was, uh, not 100% sure, I think it was early 2010s around that time, uh, which was a story of a, a lady who, uh, I mean, you can Google it, but I, her husband was looking at um, child pornography and she wanted a divorce. And instead of uh, getting a divorce, the church was trying to basically place her under church discipline to stay in the marriage. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing and summarizing. You can find that story really anywhere. Mm. And I also want to be respectful to her cause she, it is her story. Absolutely. Um, but that's probably one. Uh, and then the, mo- the most recent one, uh, that has come out. Well, the most recent one that that's come out recently, that's recently been settled was the sex abuse allegation of Jane Doe one, uh, who Johnna can speak to a little bit more about what that case was and, and the results that uh, yeah. came about with that case. So um, we actually have an episode called called the Village Churches SBC2. I think that's a great listening if you're looking to kind of deep dive into that case. We actually go through the court documents of that. Um, but that situation was just complete, utter mishandling of um, a minor making a very credible allegation against a, a children's pastor 
or a children's staff member um, hmm. during a summer camp. Hmm. So she was assault, allegedly assaulted at um, summer camp with the village church. The reason that, I mean, there's multiple layers to why that's so horrific, right? But right. the policy of the church was that no men would be in their cabins. And for some reason, like for meetings, no male staffers would be in female cabins. No female staffers would be in male cabins. But there was a good meeting room, again, using air quotes, in the, the girls' cabin. And that gave direct access by this man to allegedly go and assault an 11-year-old girl, Jane Doe 1. Um, and the village church, if you go through the court documents, you'll just see like perpetual image management and like a zero care for the victim or her family. And what's horrific is in that area in Dallas, if you um, have any sort of issue with the village you can't even walk like two feet without running into someone that attends the village so this family not only tried to stay and work it out for like a year but um has then since had to deal with the fallout like the ramifications of the greater community thinking that um that they were just trying to tear down the church and mm. that you know there's no base for these allegations what's curious and that i would love for all of us just to ponder yeah is the fact that they had been in litigation for years and the village out of nowhere a couple weeks ago decided to just settle um instead of go to trial in the fall and i just find that very curious now yeah. that we know in matt's apology that we're about to talk about that um for a month now or something like that, I think he says, a month, months now, we've been working through this since he was confronted in the lobby. Right. So it's like, okay, so now that you know heat's about to be on you, you guys want to settle this case, yeah. but you've dug this family through like horrific mm. drama and journey and trauma. Um, so yeah, that's just something to think about. One of the things that I've realized is that I think, and again, I would love anyone's thoughts on this, but I think Matt Chandler has, he's kind of in this space where he's technically a mega church pastor, but he's seen as like a true defender of like sound exegesis and sound doctrine. He's not, he's not, he's not on preachers and sneakers. You know, he's not a Stephen Furtick type preaching a watered down gospel. He's just standing on the, the integrity and truth of God's word. He has that kind of vibe, I think, in the spaces that we exist in. But I think what's telling is how, you know, these mega churches, regardless of what kind of theology they're known for, have the same ingredients of brand management, image management, um, etc. And I, I think that that's very important to, to, to recognize. I mean, even, you know, one of you mentioned, I think, uh, one of the stories where, um, you know, I think it was, um, who was it? Um, it was the person whose uh, husband was watching the, right. you know, the child yeah. abuse videos. I mean, that happened in John MacArthur's church too. You know I mean? There was Julie Roy's broke three, not one, but three stories of like actual, you know, molestation of their own children. But the, the route, the, the, the crowd that supports John still today, as of this recording is very much like, well, John's preaching the gospel. Well, John stands on truth. He's not a mega church guy, even though he's worth all this money. So I just want the audience to keep that in mind of like, I get that some of you might be saying, well, Matt isn't like a typical mega church pastor, maybe in his theology and maybe even in, in, in what they present as maybe so. But as far as what we're going to talk about and even the history of Matt, very much on point 
point for protect the brand, protect the institution at all costs. So just keep that in mind. Um, I oh Jay, were you going to say? Yeah, I had one. Yeah, I had one. I don't know if this is valid, but in you know Matt in twenty, I think it was twenty twenty. Steve Timmis, who was the <clears throat> who was the CEO, I think he was the CEO of Axe Twenty Nine. He was fired um, at the backdrop of numerous uh, abuse allegations that Axe 29 investigated and found to be true. Um, and actually, when you go back and you dig through the history of it, those same allegations existed in 2015, and they were brought by the staff. The staff who worked with Timis brought these allegations to Matt and asked basically, like, we can't keep working with Steve. Something needs to happen. And Matt fired the entire staff. And, and had Steve, them sign NDAs. So and had them sign NDAs. Huh. And, and wow. then five years later, when it started to bubble up again, and it was, I guess it was finally to a place, you know, where I guess they couldn't handle it anymore or couldn't take the PR on it, he was fired. But he was still, he was still fired in a way that he got like, you know, he got to ride off in the sunset. Like, you know, hmm. well done, well done, Steve. Right. So, and so the to say, Day article came out, and then, like yeah. twenty-four hours later, Matt was like, "Hold on, well, actually, he was abusive." And like he Matt was abusive. Done it. Like twenty-four hours later, you can actually see the. I don't know if you can find them still, but there was like two completely opposite addresses. Like one that was like Steve's awesome, and then the second one after Christianity Today shows they actually released the statement that Matt was given from the five staff members that like went point by point through the abuses that they had experienced. It was like five. Pa- it was long, right, Jay? It was really it was long. long. Yeah, it's super Maybe. long, and it was detailed, and it was mm. like, I think it was six or seven of them. I can't remember. But so to your point, Tim, the, the brand is important to Axe 29, and Matt's brand is the most important brand, yeah. in my opinion, in the Axe 29 machine. Yeah. So. Riley, I, I've seen your, your jaw drop several times. I've seen your, your, your eyes get wide several <laughs> times. Uh, any just initial thoughts on everything that we, that you kind of represent the audience in a lot of ways. Like, wait, I didn't <laughs> know that the rabbit hole was this deep. So anything that you think you or the audience is thinking right now as we just unloaded all this on them? Well, so I knew about the Karen um, Hinckley story. That was the only one I had known specifically from the village church. Um, obviously I knew they were connected with Mark Driscoll and everything. Um, mm. But this story you just told, so just so I'm clear, when the staff went to Matt with like allegations of abuse, he fired the staff instead of the person. Correct. They fired the staff. They let this. They let all the staff go, and they, and they used it in a way to say that they are relocating the staff to another state. So essentially, right. I guess their jobs were going to go away anyways. But. Mm. Um, and it's been a minute since I've looked into it, but um, I think there was a lot of verbiage about like, you know, just personalities not gelling. Um, but to John's <laughs> point, the right. document is like six, seven pages. It's pretty long, and there's multiple incidents uh, that they're bringing forth that, that were ignored. Hmm. Um, and that mirror a lot of the complaints and concerns about Driscoll. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah. It was like uh, it was like you plug one guy in. You take one guy out, you plug another guy in, but the system still is producing the right. same types of things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So we, we gave everyone listening to this a little bit of backdrop in case you're not fully familiar with just like how deep this rabbit hole goes. So that kind of brings us to really today slash yesterday. 
Um, I'm going to read uh, just briefly off of the Christianity Today uh, headline. Pretty much what it says is, Matt Chandler steps aside after inappropriate online relationship. Elders at the Village Church said Instagram direct messages, quote, revealed something unhealthy, unquote. I'll read a little bit of, of the article just so people have some context, and then we'll go from there. The Village Church pastor, Matt Chandler, announced on Sunday that he had an inappropriate online relationship with a woman and is taking an indefinite leave of absence from preaching and teaching. The relationship was not sexual or romantic, or romantic, Chandler told his church, but the elders believe that frequent and familiar direct messages exchanged over Instagram were, quote, unguarded and unwise and, quote, revealed something unhealthy in me, quote. Chandler said he agreed with their assessment and was grateful for the spiritual oversight. Okay, so that's kind of like like how the headlines are talking about it right now. Essentially, something in DMs looked unwise or unguarded. It wasn't sexual in nature, and Matt is going to take some, some time away. Um, I would like to play the Matt's actual apology video, if we can call it an apology video, maybe his, his acknowledgement video. And then from there, I think that will kind of launch us into some of our initial thoughts because I might have a, a surprising initial reaction that I would, I would like to share with you guys to get kind of your perspective on, all right? So I'm gonna share my screen here. Hopefully this works correctly. Share sound, check, optimize, yep, check, okay. All right, um, well, hopefully you guys can see my screen. I can't see you though, let me just find you real quick. Where are you? Show you the panel, there you are, okay, cool. Can you guys see this? Can you guys see the video over here? And let me know if you can hear this. Hey guys. Can you hear that? All right. So here we go. This is Matt Chandler approaching uh, the Village Church yesterday. It's about a five minute long clip. We'll let the whole thing play and then we'll kind of unpack it. Hey guys. It, I know it, it just feels like, oh my gosh, what's coming? So, so let me, I'm, I'm the lead pastor of this church. I plan on being the lead pastor of this church for the next 20 years. Um, but I do need to... <coughs> It's harder seeing you. Several months ago, um, a woman approached me um, outside here in the foyer. Um, she had some concerns for how I was DMing on Instagram with a friend of hers. Um, I, I didn't think I had done anything wrong in that. My wife knew that. Her husband knew that. Um, and, and yet there were a couple of things that she said that were disorienting to me. Um, and so I immediately um, came into the room. I found Chairman of the Elder Boards, Jason Swords, found Josh Patterson, other lead pastor, and said, this is what this person just told me. Uh, and then I went home. Lauren wasn't with me that night. And I told Lauren, this is what was said to me um, tonight. Um, from there, uh, the elders began to look into, because that's what they're supposed to do. Uh, because we cannot be a church where anyone uh, is above the scriptures and above the high heavenly call uh, into Christ Jesus. And so they looked into um, the, the conversation between me and um, this other woman, uh, and they had some concerns. Um, and those concerns were not that our messaging was romantic or sexual. It was that our conversations were unguarded and unwise. And because I don't ever want there to be secrets between us, the concerns were really about frequency and familiarity. We believe in brother-sister relationships here. 
Um, and yet there was a frequency that moved past that. And there was a familiar, familiarity that played itself out in coarse and foolish joking. It's unbefitting uh, of someone in my position as a lead pastor and as an elder. I'm held to a higher standard and fell short of that higher standard. Um, so, so the elders have decided, and I think they're right, that my inability to see what I was in uh, probably has some, is revealing some unhealth in me. And I don't know if that's tied to the pace I run or uh, the difficulty of the last six, seven years, but I agree with them. Um, and so in their grace to me and my family, um, they've decided, and again, I think they're right, um, to put me on a leave of absence, um, uh, starting uh, immediately from preaching and teaching at um, the village church. And if I'm on, I'm just really embarrassed. Feel stupid. Thank you. Feel dumb. Feel like I'm embarrassing my wife and kids. Putting a ton of pressure on our staff. Feel like I've fallen short for you. And you might even be hearing. You might not be a Christian. You might be hearing me saying this. Like, what the h? But the word of God holds me to a certain standard, and and I need to I need to live into that. And and I fell short. And man, I'm I'm apologizing to my family, to you, to all involved in this situation. And um, I some things I love. I love that our elders engaged at the level they did. You know how easy this would have been to make it nothing and just let me not address whatever this is? Super grateful that the elders have loved us and walked with us the way that they have. Um, Super grateful for you. I'm super hopeful for what's to come in the future. But but I need to breathe. Uh, And that's both discipline. Both discipline and development. Um, And so, man, in time... Forgive me. I love you. Eager for the other side of this, whatever God has for us. And so let me pray for us, uh, and then Josh will step in. Uh, Okay. All right. All right. So that is the four and a half minute long apology. Now, I I, want to just be able to share open and honestly here, if, if I can. When I first read and saw that, I thought to myself, like, is is this really accountability happening, right? Like my, my my first impression was, man, he seems real remorseful. He's it seems pretty open and honest. He's coming under the submission of the eldership, um, which is I mean, we always as new evangelicals, we're always advocating for accountability. Right? So I want to be really transparent about that. We're always saying like the problem isn't that people do dumb things. The problem is that people don't repent and turn and go the other way. Right? So I'm like, okay, maybe this is like a different situation here. You know, where like maybe Matt's like, hey. You know, frankly, I fucked up. I made a, a major boo boo, and uh, I'm going to submit myself to the process and fall under discipline here and be removed during this time in hopes that I get help and get healing. That was kind of my, really, honestly, my first take. Like, you know, I mean, I, I've seen worse apologies. I, I, I've seen no apologies, right? That, that that sound like apologies, but on the surface, it sounded like like Matt was really sincere here. Um, and I, in a way, I gotta be honest, I still think there is some good of like the eldership board came under, you know, or the, or the elders kind of took over and there's some process happening as far as we can tell. But then I thought about, and this is where, again, I would love, as I'm talking, just take some notes. I would love reactions. Then I thought about, you know, evangelical history <laughs> and I thought about just like how 
the brand management is so good, right? Where it's to, and unfortunately, it's made me cynical of what might really well be a legitimate, remorseful Matt Chandler. But at the same time, given his history at Acts 29, what we just unpacked, the brand, all that stuff, I'm like, I don't know. And the other thing I want to mention that I really am struggling with is these so-called inappropriate text messages that weren't sexual, that his wife knew about, that her husband knew about, but that a third-party woman approached him in a lobby and he says they were disorienting to me. So, you know, one of the dangers... With this, with this, is that people like Matt, they are truly masterful communicators, right? They don't, they don't get well known because they can't communicate really well, or or they can't, you know, communicate their thoughts clearly. And I really feel like something smells, and I, I hate to be cynical. I want to believe that that there's some good, maybe you know, happening here. At the same time, though, my antennas are up, and it's it's something smells worse than what he's telling us how it smells because it doesn't make sense okay i one example i am in dms all day on new evangelicals i mean 200 dms a day i'm in conversations with women all the time okay my wife knows about them and i don't think anyone who looked in those dms in fact people have access to those dms not just me no one has approached me and said hey tim um, this wasn't sexual, but uh, th- whatever you did here was wrong. And I go, oh, that that's disorienting. I never saw it like that. You know what I mean? Like, like, like there's always been transparency on our end. So I can't fathom, besides it being some kind of sexual content masked in joking, right, or sarcastic, uh, I, I can't fathom what, what is actually happening here. So those are my initial thoughts. And I would just love the panel to just fire back and tell me how it's dumb I am, how I'm being taken here, or maybe how there is some truth, and that's what makes this so difficult. The floor is yours, panel. Oh, man. Well, first, I don't think you're dumb. And I think that, so the the part before Matt spoke, Josh Patterson spoke, who was the lead pastor. Mm. Uh, and then he spoke at the end, too, and gave a sermon. The whole thing is like 20 minutes, mm. and it's it's actually interesting to listen to. Um, the best way I can, this is the best summary that I can give that I think my initial reaction is, because I think Josh's part is very critical because he really sets, he sets the tone, he uses disorienting as well, but he also Uh is setting the tone of like, hey, like we're all in this together, we're all sinners, and then he ties it off at the end of basically being like, you know, using scripture to, uh, to invoke an emotional response to say, you know, cast the first, who's going to cast the first first stone here? God's working in all of us. But what I would say when I listened to it, I thought of one thing. I thought of 2008 when we went through this historical financial crisis. And those who don't remember it, watch the big short. It'll explain (laughs) most of it to you. Yeah. But essentially we were told in 2008, because I was in the workforce, mid to late twenties working, had a 401k. Mm. We were told that um, all this stuff had happened. And the people that caused it, the banks, were too big to fail. And because they were too big to fail, we had to give them money. Because if we didn't give them money, we were all screwed, right? To me, this is the village's we're too big to fail speech. That something has happened, but we're all too big to fail because Matt's brand is too important. And there's too much at stake right now. There's too much at stake for all of us. So we need to pretend like this is what the right thing to do by bringing him off and putting him in discipline. But also remember, 
we're too big to fail because we're really keeping this thing afloat. We're the right scripture. We're the right brand of evangelicalism. We're the right version of the Bible. And that's the way that I took it. Hmm. I took it as like, this is a master class of saying, remember who we are. Um, John, I don't know. That was my initial thought listening to it. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I definitely don't think you're dumb. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, I hope that there was, some, I think all of us here hope that there was some semblance of like true conviction happening, right? Like there is like a true desire to be a healthy leader, to uh, right. make things right, to be modeling repentance. Um, but I don't feel that that's what we got. I, I hope that there's that desire I guess there's like this weird part of me that still wants to give the benefit of the doubt I don't know how that still exists in me but it does right um, and I think part of that is like the goodness in humanity right like we all desire to give the benefit of the doubt um, but especially when someone's crying <laughs> right like, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt here dude right um, but one thing that I think you said that was really important is as a woman and Riley, I don't know if you feel this too, but right when he got to that point where he said he was confronted in the lobby by her friend, every part of like the, my, my soul, like in my bones, I just like tensed up because that is really, really scary to do. Mm, yep. Especially in that context that we explained where Dallas, it's like, you can't walk two feet without running into somebody that goes to the village and will literally go down with the village. If, right. if the village is caught yeah. in a huge scandal, they're going down with it. It's going to be similar to JMAC. No questions. Like, so the fact that a woman felt that concerned that she came to her lead pastor, who is one of the most powerful forces in the young, restless, reformed white American evangelical space. Yeah. And confronted him to his face right. in the lobby. I'm like, that is not like a coarse mm -hmm. joke. The only other space, I mean, because they were so vague, we're left to speculate, right? Right. Um, I have questions. I would love to break down what he even said it was actually, like line by line. But the only other thing I could see beyond it being sexual is if he was discussing personal details of potentially things that were going on with other members of the church with this person, like, like stuff that should have been confidential or that he was making, um, light of or jokes about potentially something even like the settlement or something like that, where it's hmm. like, this is so inappropriate that he would even be joking or think it was funny or acceptable to speak hmm. in that way. Hmm. But what's it? Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say to you, John, and, and anybody, really, Tim or, or Riley, wasn't it also problematic that if he had these types of allegations or something happened that was inappropriate, I kept thinking, why is he even speaking? You know, why is he given a platform to give right. his narrative of the story over, you know, over anyone? He really shouldn't be speaking at all, in my opinion. Josh should have come up there and said, this is what happened. We're going to remove him and we're going to here are the steps that we're taking. Mm -hmm. But it was almost like he was given a platform to not only plead his case, but because he is such a powerful speaker, and he is, I've heard him speak personally, I, I've attended his churches in the past and heard him speak. And because he was given that platform, he, he got that room. Mm -hmm. you know, he got that room's emotions 
and, and guts and hearts there. And so you're, you're with him in it. And that's kind of how he draws you in. Like you're there with him and you, and, and, and you do get disoriented, right? Cause you think which side is up right. in that setting. And that's the correct way to use disoriented. And I feel like personally, he should never have taken the stage that that position of power immediately made me think there's something bigger to this um, than just inappropriate text message right. or DMs. What do you think, Riley? Oh my gosh. Well, when Tim first sent me the article this morning, I was so confused because I saw just the headline of it and it was the article from um, christianleaders.com. Mm-hmm. And I just saw the headline. It said like, Matt Chandler steps down for inappropriate messaging. And I was like, oh my gosh, here we go again. Like, I know what this is about. And then I clicked on the article and I was so confused because in this article specifically, there wasn't a whole lot of information. It was literally just like, he was texting a woman. They were joking. Now he's stepping down. And I was like, right. what kind of like purity culture shit is this? Like, <laughs> And at this point, like evangelical churches almost don't surprise me with like just the bizarreness that they do. And I'm like, maybe... I mean, there has always been this weird purity culture thing of like, you can't text someone of, you know, the opposite, you know, sex or whatever. So like, I was like, maybe this this is so weird. Like we have people like John MacArthur who are still in leadership and power after actually protecting pedophiles. But then like Matt Chandler loses his platform for like texting a woman. Like I was so confused. And then I started like kind of digging around more and I was like, okay, there's obviously way more to this story. But like my initial reaction was just like, I don't know what to, how to feel about this. If this is just Mm. literally just purity culture bizarreness or, and then obviously at this point, like I definitely think there's way more to this story. Um, And I think partially just who Matt Chandler is, he, especially like, I think following the shoes of Mark Driscoll, he's like such an opposite in terms of like, personality and charisma and so I think he has like a an emotional presence that like Mark Driscoll didn't have and so people feel more like calmed or safe or like he has almost more of like he has less of an obvious ego at least in my experience than like the Mark Driscoll's had Mm -hmm. and so I think it was a little bit shocking almost which I hate that I just like even said that because this seems to just keep happening, but I think right. people were confused and surprised. Um, I don't know. These are all my initial, it, my initial feelings were very nuanced and confused. Honestly, it's, it just, the only thing and I, I want to, uh, for the audience, you know, we're recording this really early on, um, in, in this process. So we, we are forced to speculate based on what the village church has given us. Okay. Um, so th- that's part of what, of what we have to do, but we also have to use wisdom and use our own history and knowledge of how big evangelicalism operates, right? I, I think about Brian Houston recently, how that all went down, how it was, it was kind of over time, more came out, more, more came out uh, and how, and how we just see this over and over again. One of the things that I, I mean, I, I'm really trying to get inside of like what's the best case scenario and one of them would be maybe matt and this woman were consensually having dm conversations like daily and and this person this third party was like matt 
you're on a path to like some kind of emotional affair. And he's like, oh my God, you're right. I didn't even think about it like that. So to be extra, extra, extra cautious, I'm going to go to the elder board. And the elder board's like, yeah, to be extra, extra, extra cautious, we're going to have you step down and like make sure that 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 what could have happened never actually happened. I mean, that that's like the my best case scenario. Oh my, why wouldn't you say that? Well, that, and that's what I was getting to, you know, but like, right. again, like, why wouldn't you just be transparent mm. about it? And I do have the transcript of that five minute, um, uh, conversation, uh, five minute confession. So we could go through it like line by line, but some of the wording just is really suspicious. You know, there was a familiarity that played itself out in coarse and foolish joking. That's unbefitting of someone in my position as a lead pastor. And as an elder, I am held to a higher standard and fell short of that higher standard. So was it that, that you were cursing? Because even in in, in the uh, apology, he couldn't say hell. What the H? So we're mad. Did you say what the hell in the DM conversation? And like, that's, that's the big boogeyman here. It doesn't add up. So here's what's, so uncomfortable like I don't know I like I don't know how else to explain it besides it makes me very uncomfy is (laughs) (laughs) the vagueness but weirdness in that line that you just read right before that he says here we he says something about we really encourage brother sister relationships we believe in brother sister relationships here and yet there was a frequency that moved past that what the heck is that like (laughs) I have a brother what does that mean right right and when do i move past that with my own brother that's familial like right right weird to say and like i joke with my brother like some of the most joking that i do in my life happens with my brother so that's where it's like um a coarse joke the only thing i can think is that there was sexual sexual content to that joke like that unless it was racist it's like the, there's like very few options where that is something that fits in the category that he is describing here. And so I'm just very uncomfortable in general, but yeah, felt like he all but said I had an emotional affair with someone, right? It felt yeah, that way, but right. then he made sure to say it wasn't sexual. It wasn't like a real, like a, did he say an affair? He, he said, said romantic. Wasn't romantic. Yeah. So that's what's like, then what was it, Matt? Yeah, what what he says is, and, and those concerns were not that our messaging was romantic or sexual. It was that our conversation were unguarded and unwise. And because I don't ever want there to be secrets between us, the concerns were really about frequency and familiarity. That you wouldn't have with your own brother or sister. This is... Yeah, the, this, yeah go ahead, secret. Go. The secret stuff is total crap and garbage because you know uh, the uh, with the jane doe settlement they released a statement to their to their members basically saying that the alleged victim uh, that those allegations that basically he was innocent essentially i'm basically saying hey it's innocent we reached a settlement and everything's good we're all good we're safe but behind the scenes that's not what happened (laughs) i mean they did reach a settlement but, um, you know, he was convicted. Eventually, those charges were dropped. You can read the court documents on why they were dropped. But um, there was a lot more to the story than what that statement was. So when you when you get a statement like what they released with Jane Doe One, which was loaded and uh, misrepresented, misrepresented what actually happened and also manipulated it to give their image a boost, and then you see this, 
it's just it's just goes hand in hand on how they've handled things in the past. It right. goes back to when they fired Timis, and then Christianity Today came out with that article and said, "Oh, by the way, they already were aware of all these allegations." They had to come out with another thing that rephrased it or reframed it to a way that their image really uh, was not tarnished in any way. Mm. So I think you could be skeptical of of this uh, apology because they do have that track record. Right. The coarse language stuff, too, from John and I's experience, we hear about coarse language all the time from our storytellers behind closed doors with these pastors. So... Hmm. It, it is a what do you mean like theme. when you say coarse do you mean like like trying to be sarcastic with like sexual content or just like kind of crude or we, but but masking under oh i'm just i'm fooling around yeah. we're just joshing yeah think about mark driscoll, mark driscoll. that is yeah. alive like, and well happening on the reg in acts 29 wow. wait yeah. what do you mean like mark driscoll thing, you have to unpack that i'm sorry uh, we could give one no yeah. we can give one so like uh, when alleging i think it was about this one storyteller was talking about a pastor talking about another uh, leader in the church he said something to and we can cuss on your podcast right we try not to <laughs> no you're good i've already done it yeah i said i said a fuck yeah. earlier it's fine all right good yeah so uh i think he said the devil is trying to fuck you in the ass like he sent that to the uh like to the actual like it was a leader in the church or something like that and that type of that type mm. of language is it can be common um, we've also had stories where where we've seen pastors have close relationships with uh, or try to have close relationships with women that nothing physical happens by any means. But even the type of relationship they have could be disqualifying, in, in my opinion, is disqualifying, not could be, is disqualifying. Mm. And so um, I'm just saying, like, that stuff is there. It was there with Driscoll. It hmm. never went away. Hmm. You can Google, there's a village story right now that you can find on the internet about a, a gentleman who was a worship leader and a associate pastor who planted another church with the village. It was a village church that eventually rolled off into its own church, and they were swingers. They were swinging with each other's wives, and they were grooming oh people in their uh, community group to join them. And that you can find it. It's on all the blogs. Um <laughs> And nobody what? knows about it. People are like, "What?" I probably never heard of that. And so all that to be said is wow. that when John and I see this, our first gut reaction, my gut reaction was, I'm glad he stepped down. I'm really glad that he stepped down. And then my second gut reaction is, but what's the truth? Right. And we need it. Yeah. Because we yeah. owe it to not only the lady he was talking to, but the lady that confronted him. And we owe it to Jane Doe's family. We owe it to Karen Hinckley. We owe it to the bodies that have been destroyed at the village. We owe it to them. And I, that's what I'm waiting for. Um, and, well, it, um, it seems like one of those things where like, where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, yeah. That's just kind of how it feels, right? And, and, and like you said so well, Jay and Jonna, you know, the branding is so, is so particular. The wording is intentional. Um, and you have to put it like this. If Matt Chandler oversees Acts 29 and the Village Church, whatever happened between these so-called innocent DMs that were, you know, beyond a brother and sister familia relationship, 
I'm, I'm assuming what that means is, hey, if the other person on the other end of these texts ever released them, it would destroy our church mm-hmm. in Acts 29, right? Yeah. It wouldn't just be like, oh, um, Matt said fuck, right? Or, or Matt said shit or something. It would be like, no, this is highly right. inappropriate behavior for the standards that Matt claims to be living by and teaching others to live by, right? That's my, I have this, I have to say or have that assumption of like, that it's something on that level that would cause this to happen. Yeah, I think because like Tim, you were mentioning like best case scenario, which I kind of was trying to think through today as well. And in my mind, like there's no way he would. I mean, this is like massively just public and yeah. kind of colossal. There's no way if it was like a I'm just so scared I'm going to have an emotional affair kind of situation right. th- that could have been resolved very quietly without the need for like this response. And I'm very grateful for this response. This is like definitely what needs to be happening. He needs to step down. But if there was a quote, best case scenario, this would not be the response, which is why it makes me think there's so much more that's not being said. And I think it's really important for us to like take a moment for a second and think about um, we, none of us are on the elder board at the village, so we have no idea how it runs, but like a normative structure within Acts 29 goes back still to the roots of Driscoll, which most people kind of have some grasp because of rise and fall of Mars Hill, how that played out in that elder board set board setting. That is still very normative in the Acts 29 network and still very much discipled into their pastors from the network. So they have like pastors conferences, they have cohorts. They're very much all up in each other's business, all these pastors. So, Mm -hmm. um, for anybody wondering, like what I'm speaking to is the lead pastor runs the ship. So they're on the elder board as well, normally. And mm. again, I don't know if this is 100% what happened at the village. Right. But they, like we have pastors, a, a phrase we hear commonly is like a lead pastor will say something like the elders are there to say yes. The elders are there to wow. okay. like Great. basically carry out his mission. Right. So you're not going to have an elder board that pro- most likely Matt Chandler is the lead deciding voice on have him step aside just because there was like a maybe weird conversation that happened in a DM. Right. Like the old, there has to be more here. Like either the elders felt like it was time to actually stand up and get involved because this was that colossal that mm. they were going to go against this lead voice mm. or Matt was willing to fall for this smaller thing in order to hide the the gravity of whatever is happening here or the gravity of something else that's happening. I guess that's a good point because if the village church run by by Matt Chandler is willing to settle out of court and to fight litigation and to t- you know and to really it takes you have to pull you have to pull teeth to get them to admit wrongdoing, right? I, I, I'm pretty sure that like 6 years later the uh, the village said, "Yeah, we mishandled the situation with Karen." Like six years later, uh, or something and he like cried. that. He cried just like this when he did it. Right. So, so if it took that long to get Matt to admit wrongdoing there, but these like you know uh, we were DMing too much is like nope uh, public. We got to you have to step down. Eldership, you know, uh, disciplinary process in, in effect. 
again, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like fools in a year from now when we find out like you know it was no big deal, so to speak, right? But I hopefully you, I, it was no big deal. Hopefully. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Hopefully there's nothing here and we all look foolish, honestly, because but 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 again, I I want to be clear to the audience. The reason why we're unfortunately thinking this way is because all of us are either former. I think we're all former evangelicals in some way, shape or form. And we've been on the inside and we've seen this merry-go-round happen not like once, not twice, dozens of times. And also the village church has a track record of hiding stuff. So we have to take that into consideration as we think about this going forward. Yes. And unless things have changed, the most recent version of the membership covenant that I was aware of actually has NDA type wording in it. And if you read the book, A Church Called Tove by Laura Mm. Laura Berenger and Scott McKnight, great book. Mm -hmm. He actually uses the village church as a case study in his book. Um, and I think they're actually talking about Jane Doe huh. <laughs> and her family. But basically, they they have some things within their covenant, like I will not um, pursue legal action without going through mediation with the church. Like they have this language that actually people are signing these covenants. There's a solid chance that um, if the woman ever oh. did want to come forward, she would feel fearful that she could have legal action taken against her just based on hmm. the membership covenant she potentially signed if she's at that church. Wow. And maybe, maybe that's why that third person then stepped in. I mean, again, we're, we're really speculating here, but the, it's very likely or it could be a possible scenario that like this person's friend is like, well, you feel trapped because of whatever you signed. I'm just going to talk to Matt directly and call this shit out, frankly, right? Oh, and that's a way to circumvent this potential legal uh, legal ease that is baked into these like covenant contracts, where you know Jane Doe in this case is like, I feel like this has gotten unhealthy, right? But I can't say anything or blow this up because of the potential legal ramifications of going against a massive church and also the brand of Matt Chandler. So maybe again, speculating, but maybe her friends like fine, I'll do it. I'll blow the thing up, you know, and then here we are. It's a very potential scenario, frankly. And we still, again, I think something that Matt never talked about in his apology was the power dynamics that are at play when you are a mega church pastor. You have authority, privilege in that conversation. You have um, trust in that situation, regardless, even if she doesn't go to the village because of who he is as a pastor. He brings all of those things in. So mm. the fact he didn't also, this was my first gut. I don't know if I said this yet or not, but my first gut reaction was he didn't apologize to the women. That was completely left out of his apology. He didn't say, I am so sorry that I would ever have put this woman in a situation where it could have even been perceived as inappropriate as a pastor, as a spiritual leader. And that was wrong of me. And I need to apologize to her. And I need to, one, I commend her friend for having the guts to come to me and to call me out. That had to have been scary. But two, I need to apologize to her friend for putting her in that position as her pastor. Mm. That was wrong. Really quick, just a quick thread I want to pull out on that, and then uh, we can give back over to Jay O'Reilly. But this that's a great point because Matt is a patriarchal, men-lead kind of dude, and yet – so so either e- either way, 
even if he feels like the woman contacted him, in his worldview, he's still the man and the leader who has to set the tone for things, right? Yeah. So, so either way, he's on the hook for however far these conversations got in his own quote-unquote biblical worldview perspective of how of how the world functions and he really didn't take any ownership of that leadership position and how really he didn't live up to his own um uh, expectations and ideals that men lead uh and that men are the ones who are most responsible because we're the big strong leaders that have to just lead the world and yet there was none of that so that is a really great point to pull out yeah, I was just going to say, Josh Patterson ended up speaking for the women to basically saying, uh, again, I'm paraphrasing, that they didn't want to speak or share their story at this time. Hmm. Um, and again, I, I, I always have I always have heartburn when I hear these men talk for women, because it, just from our experience, time and time again, the narrative on women is so bad. And so de- it's just it not only discriminates against them, but it's it's unchristlike in how they talk about, you know, how women are perceived and talked about behind closed doors. So when I hear that publicly, I immediately my antennas go off to say, man, there's there's something there's something more here too. Right. You know, I think about it when I personally, to John's point, when I personally heard his apology. Um, you know, my first thought was, if that apology, we'd probably you know, that apology first needed to happen to both of those women that he offended behind the scenes. And hopefully that it did. But then if he did have an apology, I don't think that he needs to say it from the stage. Um, And I don't think it needs to be addressed in a way to where his name and narrative, when I heard his apology, it's almost like he's this fallen man, like we all are, you know, and we're all weak. And he's got to, you know, he's got to build up and be strong again. And we need to support him to do that. Hmm. And, and, and when I heard that apology, I was like, that is not the, <laughs> that is not Christ-like. Christ was always emptying himself in all power dynamic situations. He was emptying himself and that was not present on the stage. Hmm. It was a, it was a turn to say, I need, I am in a way I'm the victim. I think at one time he said, Maybe my pace that I that I that I keep up with, whatever the hell that means. Right. Like I, yeah, that was. Bothersome. I don't know what the pace. Yeah, what the pace means. But great. Maybe you should slow down. Maybe you shouldn't go to uh, like he did recently. He was at a conference with Mark Driscoll. Yeah, the OSU. So, yeah, the OSU's digital yeah, conference. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's a lot there, but the women part really bothered me when Josh brought that up, and I would say the part that Josh said at the end was probably the one thing that gave me the most, um, distressed me the most. And, and, and the way that he put scripture in there to enlist an emotional response and take us on this journey to where Matt needs Christ, we need Christ, mm. Christ is so gracious, which are all great things, mm. but never really acknowledging the fact that somewhere in this narrative, Matt has hurt someone. And instead of focusing on how we make that person whole, we're focusing on Matt's development. And right. the way that they, they move that narrative along with scripture is very concerning because it's almost like an us versus them mentality now, where we're all circling the wagons. We're going to work together. He at some said, some point said something about like people, we're going to give this narrative over to people and people are going to say things about it. And it still hides the truth. It still is not being emptied of the situation to really want true repentance and remorse and growth. 
And, and, and that to me, that last part is very concerning mm. and is very problematic. Mm. And if people have not listened to it, I encourage you to listen to Josh's beginning, Matt's apology, and then Josh at the end. Um, it, it gave, it gave, it personally gave me chills, um, because it felt calculated and planned mm. in, in my opinion. Mm. So Riley, what are some of your like yeah. you know, final thoughts on, on some of this? No, I mean, honestly, I think what Jay just said really yeah. kind of captures my feelings on it because I was watching the apology online and my husband was like in the background listening to it. And I just like rolled my eyes. I was like, I hate all of this like Christianese. Like I haven't heard it in so many years. And I'm like, the way he just keeps throwing in like random Christian phrases into this very serious speech which should have been direct and not just emotionally laced with yeah christianese it it's so annoying and it's so i think manipulative because i think like jay pointed out really well it almost makes i think those of us who kind of roll our eyes or are just like no but i'm like still angry about this like the bad guys in the situation where we're just not you know, understanding that this is all God's plan and like, we're not forgiving him the way that Christ wants us to forgive him or, you know, whatever the talking point is, if you're still like angry and upset about the situation, you're not, you know, being holy enough or you're not like understanding it through the right forgiveness. Like, you know, we're supposed to just immediately forgive him. Right. And then again, like very little to no talk about the victims in this situation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so that was, yeah, just something I've been thinking a lot about. It's just this whole, like, well, this is all part of God's will. And like, we all make mistakes. We're all sinners. Like we're just all, I think that even that may have been actually a line, um, or maybe it was one, something on Twitter that I saw, but just about how like, we're all sinners. So like, we should just forgive Matt. And it's just such a cop out for the systemic problems that this is, you know, highlighting and the victims that are you know, whose lives are altered because of his. Yeah. So those are my kind of final thoughts there. Also, they don't ever offer this grace to anybody else. Mm. Like Karen Hinckley literally got from the stage disciplined and they had a full members meeting about it. Mm. Like, and then Matt gets like this, like happy, four and a half minutes. I mean, it's not happy, I guess, but he got to be like, I'm embarrassed. And like, please, right. it was like, please love me still. And it's like, we're not like nobody else in these scenarios when it's you who feel wronged. None of those people are getting the grace that you're asking all of us to extend to you. Um, right. What is that? Like, what's that disconnect where, where we're not, where our gut is not where we haven't been discipled to give grace to a victim who comes forward, but we're, we are very much programmed to give grace to a leader. Um, and like, what is grace? Jay and I talk about this a lot. What is actual grace? Uh, my husband uses the term toxic grace. He's like, Mm. they're asking us to give toxic grace because they want us just to give air quotes grace without any accountability, without any goodness and truth involved. So they just want us to just co-sign basically. (laughs) They're not actually wanting like good whole wholeness in this situation. Um, I do have one final thought 
because I really think we need to squeeze this in before Let's go. We end. Let's do it. They, we oftentimes say these leaders need to bring in an unbiased third party. We, we desire that. We ask for that. Like that's something Jay and I push for constantly. If you're not scared of your actions, bring mm. in an investigation, bring in a third party. So they did that, right? That they say they did that in this, um, I don't know if he said it in his apology or if they said it, if Josh said it, I think he did say it in his apology. Josh said it. Josh said it too. They didn't name the third party, which is concerning. Um, I will say that for Jay and I, we talk to hundreds and hundreds of people around the world that are in abusive contexts within Acts 29 or other predominantly white, like young restless reformed spaces. And most of these, the time, these third party investigators are just their friend. In our situation, like I said, our the current executive director was directly involved in our own spiritual abuse um, at our church. He brought in, or they brought in a third party to investigate, and it was actually a network that Brian is the vice president of another network, and they came to investigate. So it's like the buddy system now is happening, where there's like these investigations that are just done by your bro which is not unbiased and not healthy. But if not, we can maybe assume that Vanderblumen came in and did this investigation because I know the village was like at one point very much highlighted on their page mm. as one of their big customers. I don't know if you guys have followed um, the Andy Woods Saddleback controversy at all, but basically I think Julie Royce did an article on this as well. Um, yeah. There, um, the Adams Brown family came out and they actually whistle blew Andy Woods and said, Hey, everybody's under NDAs. We did not sign. He's a spiritual abuser. Like here's the, here's our story. Um, and they called for an investigation. Well, whose saddleback I believe brought in was Vanderblumen. But what's sketch about them and what I want your listeners to actually start, like, these are the questions we have to start asking as yeah. like, the great broader people, right? Is Vanderblumen actually was who hired, they were the staffing company who hired Woods for Saddleback. So they're not unbiased. Mm. This is not, there's money and platform wow. and business on the line for them if Woods ends up truly being abusive, right? Yeah. So that's not an unbiased investigation, yet it's being touted as if this third party investigation cleared them right. and they did everything right. And I have that feeling in this scenario too, where it's like truth, what we, we say this all the time. We are just talking about it with this. Truth is not afraid of transparency. If you are truthful, if you are walking in goodness, if you're walking in repentance, you're not scared to be transparent. You're not scared to say, here's the third party that investigated it. Here's their findings. Go to them, ask them questions. Don't email the village church's care team. That's right. what they told us to do. Send us emails with questions, but give us grace because we probably won't have time to answer them is basically what they say at the end. It's right. like, no, truth is not scared of transparency. If you had a third party come in, have them be the ones making this announcement. Have them be the ones that are saying, this is what we found. We're open to questions. Like, right. let's heal together. Let's pursue goodness and truth together. That's not what we're seeing in this scenario. Mm. That's not what we're seeing across broader, predominantly white American evangelicalism. And it is causing ruptures in lives. It is closing churches. 
none of, I don't know where you guys are at, but I know Jay and I, I, I think Tim, like none of us are in a church right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who do you trust? Because no one is leading that I have found right. <laughs> with humility, with goodness, with truth. There's fear and power, and that's who's leading us right now. And that's all we saw in this apology was fear and power mm. and tears and some probably genuine embarrassment. Yeah. So, you know, to wrap this up and, you know, I really appreciate all of you making time last minute to uh, spend over an hour with me to talk about this. And I appreciate you, uh, Jay and Joanna, uh, Jana, sorry, uh, for really unpacking some of the nuance behind like what we're seeing, right? Cause I think someone in the vacuum could see the apology. Be like, oh, look, this guy made a mistake. He's owning it. He's stepping down. But when you have the context, when you have the history, it something does not seem right. And like we all said, we are speculating, but we also have some wisdom behind us. Now we've been in these spaces for a little bit uh, in, in, in my, in my life. I've been an evangelical my entire life, you know, so I, I've been around the block once or twice. And I, I truly hope that, that my, my, my suspicions are totally invalidated that it turns out it was them just being over the top cautious and that, you know, Matt really is like, oh my God, how can I even get this far? Let alone, you know, what, what could have happened. I hope all that we said on that side truly is, is the truth. I mean, I think that sometimes people think as new evangelicals that we just want to like, you know, burn down people and just like destroy them. That is not the goal here. You know, we simply want accountability. Like we always say that we understand that people are not perfect. No one is perfect. And that's why accountability and repentance are key. So I hope that, that we're looking at something that is genuinely, you know, leading to restoration, but where there's smoke, where there, uh, there's fire. And unfortunately, based on the village's history, on, on, on Matt Chandler's history, on the evangelical culture's history, uh, this does not look good. It just doesn't. It, it, it smells. And and we have to be honest about that. So I think that's really important, you know, that, that people keep that in mind. Obviously, time will tell. We're still very early on in this process. Uh, and who knows how things will twist and turn. But one thing that I think is really important that all of us, I think, have mentioned at some point is that, you know, um, I think it's, I think one of the reasons why there's like this, um, Matt centered apology is because they'll, evangelical church will never say this, but I think that deep down what they feel like is, well, there, there, there's, there's thousands of congregants. There's only one Matt, right? So like Matt, Matt is the more valuable asset to have. Uh, because Matt is the speaker, Matt's the visionary, Matt's the brand, Matt's our fearless leader. So we have to really protect him and his heart um, at all costs. Um, and if that means disparaging a victim or two, or uh, you know, or not telling the full truth, or, si- or making, making people sign NDAs, that's just what it takes to protect our our major asset, which is Matt Chandler or Mark Driscoll or Brian Houston or Bill Hybel. I mean, you, you can go down the list uh, time and time again. And I think we have to be honest about that. You know, I think one of the reasons why a lot of us want a different way forward that is not so hierarchical with like the CEO pastor model is because it puts, it puts people in really unhealthy positions and it turns them into villains. You know, I mean, I think one example of this is something that struck me during the uh, rise and fall of Mars Hill um, podcast is that the early Mark Driscoll 
wasn't who he is now. You know, like the way he's talking, you're like, wow, he sounds like he has good motives. And then like this, like this power thing happens. And then like this villain becomes Mark Driscoll where the whole world's against him. So I think that we have to be honest about, about the deeper issues here of like, what, what is exposing this part of people and really, really feeding it more than, than, than the humility. And we're in this together and sense of, of, uh, you know, we're all part of the family of God, so to speak, as, as Jesus people what does that mean how do how do we shake hands and really be a family and not say weird family things about how my relationship was beyond familial language i don't know what the hell that means matt but you know i'm just saying like that is where i think about this i I think i think that's important for us to recognize and to think about as we move forward as maybe ex-evangelicals new evangelicals just christians however we want to label ourselves how do we move forward that doesn't include unhealthy power systems like this that become brands over people instead of people over brands and systems. That's kind of my final thought. Um, on that note, I want to thank everyone for making the time. I, an audience, thanks for hanging in and, and listening to this hour-long episode. Um, really quick, before we wrap up, Matt and Jonna, where can people find you? I mean, you, you have a podcast. Where's the podcast? I just called you Matt. Sorry. Jay. <laughs> I know. Thank sorry. you. Sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, Jay. I did, that, I, did that, yes. I did that That to Riley as well. Until I called her Allie because we were doing an Allie Stucky response <laughs> video. And I, I'm so sorry. All right. Uh, anyway, so Jay and Jonna, where can people find you? Uh, online and go ahead, plug yeah. away. Anywhere that you stream podcasts, you can find the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. Um, we are most active on Instagram. Sometimes we'll do lives over there. Um, and then you can always email us at connect at bodiesbehindthebus.com if you have a story you want to share. Um, also, we launched a nonprofit a few months ago called Sacred Wilderness, and it's to connect victims of spiritual abuse to therapy or counseling. Um, we help try to fund that because oftentimes people don't have the funds to get the help they need. So if that's you, um, or if you're interested in supporting that work as well, you can find us on um, at sacredwilderness.org. Awesome. All right, friends. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you all next time.